Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. tough at the minute because you look at the, the level of the player they've mm-hmm. got so, but when the boys make their debut other than their parents like you're quite awkward you know like sitting watching the game seeing what they can't do because you spend time with them do you know what I mean so you're nervous for them but now nah, to see them do so well and then mm-hmm. so many of them to play together is it, fantastic and it, it's not the first time under Klopp that he's done that so fa- fair yeah. credit to him you know yeah, and I remember you saying, um, I was listening to a podcast that you went on to um, previously, and you were saying that, like, Chelsea had a great academy, but when you moved to Liverpool, there was, like, a pressure to bring through young kids. Yeah, I think the pressure comes from the local area as well, lads. Like, you know, like, the people in Liverpool demand it. They've seen it down the years, obviously, with players coming through. It's a very proud city, and they sort of back their own. You see it in all sports. I see it in the boxing, do you know what I mean, as well, mm-hmm. where they- they back their own people, and it's yeah. a, it's a nice it's a nice thing. Um, yeah, so there, it was different. Like there was probably slightly better players at Chelsea when I was there than when I first yeah. went to Liverpool. But we were getting players through at Liverpool that wouldn't have got through at Chelsea. Now mm. at the time, Chelsea had a stronger first team squad, but obviously now that's turned a little bit with Liverpool. But um, no, nah, it's great to see any young kid get an opportunity. That's what the game's all about. Hello listeners and welcome back to yet again another episode of the Beautiful Game podcast. As always, I'm your host Budge and I'm joined by my faithful two co-conspirators Dot and Dej. Gents, how's it going? I'm good Budge, how are you bro? Very, very well, very, very well. Um, Feeling really good, feeling really refreshed. Had a lot to eat earlier on, so um, yeah, yeah. Always a Ready. bonus. Yeah, of course, of course. How about you, Dej? How's it going? I'm very, very well. Thanks for asking, bro, man. Ready to get this crack in. We've got a very, very well-esteemed guest on the absolutely, other line, so absolutely. this one's going to be a cracker. I think we really are um, milking this uh, conference call thing, right? So yeah, we're loving it. We're loving, yeah, we're loving it. Headphones. It, um, and, and no, it's, it's, it's great because then it gives, obviously, the opportunity for guests who can't make it to the studio, um, no matter how sort of far away they are, for us to still sort of connect. And our ver- our very special guest uh, today is uh, dialing in all the way uh, from up in uh, Glasgow, um, which is uh, very, very interesting. 
Um, so this special guest that uh, Dej has alluded to is currently a first team coach at uh, Rangers. He started his uh, coaching career at Chelsea in 2002 uh, and rose through the coaching ranks uh, over a 10 year stint before then moving over to Liverpool initially to manage the under 16 side. He stayed there for four years and then decided to take on a new challenge as assistant manager of Sao Paulo in Brazil. Uh, Then returning to um, the Liverpool Academy as head of uh, coaching for the foundation phase in September of 2017. Um, He's also a a published author. Um, and you know, if you if you if if you sort of have a look through his social media, you can see he's a a very modern style uh, uh, coach and, and, and manager. Um, you know, taking full advantage of of, of social media oh, and, and websites <laughs> and, uh, and vlogs and all that that's that sort of stuff. Um, but we're going to let him uh, uh, speak us through his 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 career today and some of the interesting things that he's been doing. And so, without further ado, we welcome Michael Bill to the platform. Welcome, welcome. welcome. Welcome welcome welcome, 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 welcome. Thanks for having me, lads. Uh, happy New Year to you all. It's a pleasure to come on. Happy, happy New Year, happy to, you New Year well, to you, Michael. Too. First and foremost, we want to say a massive, massive thank you. We really do appreciate the fact that you've taken this time out to jump on the platform and, and have a word with us. Um, you know, it's not every day that we um, we, we get to interview and speak to a, a coach who's a, a been as decorated as you have been um, with, you know, all the experience that you've had and, and, and the clubs that you've been at. So we really do appreciate this time and, and, and would, you know, really love to uh, hear a bit about what you've what you've been doing and and and. and and that kind of thing. So, so thank you. No, no problem. It's a, I, I really uh, things like this are fantastic for sharing ideas and and just experiences. And so, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and speak to you. Great stuff. So, where I would like to start off, Michael, is um, you know we obviously had a, a sort of a very brief um, uh, breakdown about you know where you've um, sort of worked at and, and and what you've done. And so, we often would start from the very very beginning and, and, and find out um you know how you got into coaching and that kind of stuff and, and where you did your badges and so on and so forth and we're going to find that out uh you know all of those things but we're going to start from um from not from from the very beginning actually on this occasion we're going to do it slightly different and what we want to uh pinpoint and pick out to start off with is the um the very big um, uh, uh, decision that you took when you decided to uh, leave England and go over to Brazil, uh, to Sao Paulo. And now obviously that isn't uh, an opportunity that comes around very often for, for coaches um, uh, in, in the UK, for example. So we'd like to start off there, you know, H- how, how did that come about? What was your experience like in moving over to um, uh, uh, to, to, to Brazil? You know, H- how, how did you find it? So outside of just work um, and, and what you were doing for, 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 for the club immediately, um, how, how did things differ in terms of culture, in terms of the language barriers? All of those kind of things, because I think often, you know, we we sort of um, have our sort of our blinkers on, and we're, and we're so focused on the immediate game that we forget that you know you've also ha- you're having to live out there, you, you know, and and, and ha- having to deal with loads of different challenges in your personal life as well as um, professionally. So so let's start off with with, with that. Um, let us know how how that all came about. Well, it was it wasn't a difficult decision in terms of my career. It was a difficult decision in terms of leaving Liverpool. Mm. fantastic club but when I first started coaching my idols were Bobby Robson and Terry Venables because mm-hmm. they were English, 
British coaches that had gone abroad and learnt a second language and were respected, I felt that as coaches in England, a bit like the young players, that we weren't always getting the respect from the rest of the world. So it was always my aim and my dream to go and work abroad. But, you know, you have to have an opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very fortunate that a very famous ex-Brazilian player, Rogério Senna, he had just retired and he was in England watching a lot of coaches when he asked to come in and see me work at Liverpool. Um, and I spent a day with him just sharing ideas, watched the training session, probably spent, just like we are now, a little bit of time speaking about the game and he invited me over. Um, Liverpool were very aware that it was my aim one day to go and work outside of England. Mm. I turned down some opportunities in England to maybe become a manager or move club because I felt it was a fantastic club and I didn't want to move. I was very happy, but this was mm. my dream. It was also a dream to learn a second language because all the managers that I'd seen and, and been lucky enough to be around at Chelsea and Liverpool, they all spoke a second language. So there was a big hint there for me as a young coach. So you had to get out and expand your 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 personal skills, really, mm. not the coaching skills so that was a big aim for me and obviously when you go over to Sao Paulo it's the most it's the most successful club in South America it has 75,000 seat stadium has an unbelievable academy that's produced numbers and numbers of top European players Mm. uh, you know that have come into Europe and done well from South America so when I went over and looked at it it was just unbelievable so I took the option to go over. I did about 17 hours of lessons of Portuguese before I went, and then I didn't do another lesson. I just learned as I went. Wow. used to write mm. a session plan in Portuguese. used to laugh at myself getting things wrong. <laughs> and, and, and that was all part of it. Obviously, mm. the heat was was a big change to obviously Liverpool in terms of the weather, but that made <laughs> training nicer because it extended the day. And then I had some unbelievable um experiences you know like firstly like going away to play at Santos's stadium the famous stadium mm. where Pele had played we went there and won 3-1 that was the same day my family arrived in Brazil so that was very special um, but just yeah obviously you're working with players in a different culture so you mm. understand and learning little things about the game and if you're going to work at the top level you're going to work with players with mixed diversity from different backgrounds mm. different nationalities and the culture plays a huge part um, of football. So understanding people takes uh, takes a, a big thing for you as a young coach to start mm. understanding the game. But it's also understanding the people that you've got that are playing within your team. I, I can only explain it. It's hard, guys, because it's hard to explain it to people because no one was with me going through it. But what I would say, it was a privilege. And it was mm. like... It was like a five-star football holiday. Wow. Yeah, Michael, I was reading um, one of your articles in The Coach's Voice and you were saying, you were comparing the differences between Brazilian players and English players. Like in Brazil, their motivation is to make it for their families because they're coming from, you know, like extreme poverty. Whereas in England, if they don't make it, they're like, you know what, it's okay. We've got mummy and daddy to, you know, help us out kind of thing. Yeah, I think what... what you can't general, you know, generalize a whole nation because certain parts, like you know, where I'm from in London, South London, all different parts of London have real tough areas yeah, where yeah. where kids do need to make it. The point mm. I was making is that I think some players want to make it. Mm. If they, don't, they have a lot of other things in their life that they can. There's different jobs and different opportunities available to people in England. What I saw in Brazil was this real need to make it yeah. because. Mm made it you could help your family i think it's the same in some of the african countries as well i think mm. there's that real 
need. And wherever there's a need over a want, I think that's huge. You talk about needs and wants, and I would say that, you know, just in England, we haven't, you know, compared to the rest of the world, our, our children have it good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so there is yeah, a lot yeah. of opportunities, lots of pathways where maybe for the kids in some part of the world, you know, football is a way out. It really is a chance to make a better life for your whole family. Yeah, no. 100%. You, you originally um, spoke about, you know, wanting to become a manager, but what made you, like, gravitate towards player development? I know you started um, a coaching camp back in Kidbrook, South East London. So what is that what made you transition into more player development when you started that? I was like, when I came out of playing, like I was, I was a young player at Cholton, so you know I didn't make it as a pro. When I come out of playing and went into coaching, I was really worried that if I went into an academy, they were going to tell me what to coach mm. and how to coach. That was a big thing when I was young, you know. And so I started my own soccer school, and then when I got the opportunity to go into Chelsea about five, six months later, I was like asking my good friend who gave me a job, Damian Matthew. Um, I only met him at the time and I was asking him a lot of questions like I don't want you to tell me what to coach I want to be able to coach my own way I want you to sort of like help develop me but and, and give me some guidance but I want to be able to coach these kids in my own way and that was quite a big thing I felt that when I played the game the coaches didn't allow expression mm. and they didn't allow playfulness you know that time where you have you with the ball where you, that, you start relationships with, with you and the ball about what you can do and mm. And, and expressing yourself in in the way that you know best. And, and I just went into coaching really open-eyed. I did want to be a manager. I still want to be a manager. Um, but, you know, on, along the journey, you sort of change. You're not as desperate as maybe as you was before because mm. you enjoy the roles that you're in. I, I really like development. I would take the word youth off of development. I, I don't believe that you have to be called, if you're called a developer, that means you can only work with young 100%. Mm, yeah. <laughs> If you're a developer, you can work at any age group. And mm -hmm. I think the best managers you see now, you see the way that Jurgen Klopp nurtures yep. his players and the relationship it has. That's developing. I see Guardiola doing it in a completely different way. Mm. But that's developing. Um, so, yeah, I still have an aim to be a manager. I went, When I started coaching at 21, the aim was 40. I turned 40 next September or this year coming. And I don't I don't expect to be a manager now for at least another five years. I'm in a very good job with good people mm. at this moment. Just another another quick question on top of that. Um, you spoke about you know, um, understanding people. That's mm -hmm. one of your key principles about understanding people. And you were talking about you're not the biggest fan of like what you call tactics. Like you're more understanding um, people's one-on-one -on -one needs. So, for example, you used um, Xavi as a case in point, you used Busquets, you used Iniesta, you used Messi about their one-on-one -on -one needs in terms of the way Xavi takes the ball is going to be different to the way Messi takes the ball and Iniesta is a hybrid of two. So, what do you mean by that? Well, I think firstly, like anyone that knows me would say that that's a strange comment that I made about tactics. Everyone knows that I'm big on, on the tactical side of the game. But what I've learned is that that's like the base layer. There's, like if you stand in front of a group of very, very good players and start coming out of all your tactical stuff, that's just one thing. That's organising. But these young players need to, and these senior players, whatever level of player you work with, they need to know what it means to them, how mm. they fit inside it. You know, what are they getting from it? What So... In that sense, you have to your one-to-one -one relationships are really important. You need to you need to give clarity to each player on their role, and I think you really need to work out why a young player plays the game, why they play it, 
what they what they enjoy about playing the game and then have their whole development wrapped around that. I think that's so, so important. I think that, you know, whether you, you know, whatever you do in life, what you do in your job and stuff like that, you may work for a company, but it's important that company understand you and what motivates you and what your aims and dreams and goals are. So I think the one-to-one relationship is really important. Then there's a different type of one-to-one, which is understanding what qualities everyone brings to the mix of your team. So it's all right, you might go into a club with your tactical idea of how to play, but then when you get there, you have this mix of players, of different experience, mm. cultures. You have to use that to mould it. So you can have this sort of like outside uh, casing of how you want the game to be played, but then all, all the different players you've got within your club make up this unique way of playing a certain system or, you know, and, 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 a certain, and, and your team's certain strengths and weaknesses. And it's important as a coach that you try to cultivate all of that into a winning team. And, and, and I find that more fascinating than just tactics. Yeah. I find conversations and the relationships you have with people and how it all fits and the relationships that players have on the field, I find that much more interesting. Yeah, as a coach coming through the ranks, um, I know you you said that it's, you know, difficult to break down boundaries. On our platform, we've got a lot of coaches that listen in, you know, Gaz listens, um, Coach Kojo. So what's one piece of advice that you would give to, you know, like a coach that might be thinking of throwing in the towel to, you know, like keep going on? No, I think that it's really important that you you have a personality to inspire and interact in whatever you do, whatever you choose to do in life, you have to have a personality that inspires and interacts. And I think that's really important in football that when you're working with players, don't worry too much about your knowledge of the whole game. Can you facilitate a session? Can you get kids playing and enjoying the game? And then can you inspire them with maybe the way that you communicate or the belief you show in young players or, just in general, your knowledge and your passion for the game. I think that's really important. I think if you don't have that personality to inspire and interact, there's lots of ways of being involved in football, but you don't have to physically be a coach. Now there's there's opportunities in, in terms of analysis, in terms of data. There's lots of angles that mm. come at football. Mm. But I think if you're working with someone's son or daughter, you have to have that ability, you know, that personality to inspire and interact because you have to put yourself in the position of the parent whose son or daughter they're giving to you to to develop their game and, and inspire their love for football. I think for uh, coaches now, there's a lot more opportunity than there were 20 years ago because academies have a lot more finance than they had previously. And even if I look up here at Scotland, in Scotland and over in Wales and, and Ireland, they don't have the same finances in their clubs. So you're talking about maybe five or six full-time positions where some of the big academies in England might have 50 full-time coaching positions and a lot of part-time positions as well. So they're in a they're in an era now, young coaches, where there's a lot more opportunity than there was previous. And I think it's just opening the doors to the right sort of mentors. I think it's really hard when you work in youth development. You can go online and see Guardiola's session or Mourinho's session or Klopp session, but that's not going to help you as a youth coach. We need to have more leaders and more role models out there that are talking about how to develop young players mm-hmm. and giving examples. We don't want people picking up a Mourinho session or a Klopp session offline and doing that with their under 10. That's got nothing to do with player development. That's performance coaching. Mm-hmm. So I think we really do. The, the people that are in positions that have been on this pathway, we have to... We have to really help the next generation. I think the coaching courses have improved in England, but I still think they're very uh, safe. 
I think that, you know, maybe that's because of the FA have to be that way as a national body. But I think that getting people that are working in the clubs to go and talk on the courses more and talk about the real life experiences that mm. people have had will really help the next generation. But if it's your passion and football and sports your passion, you should never give up because every day you take a step forward, that door's opening more and more. That You know, you walk away from it, it'll close on you. Definitely. Yeah. You know, what I wanted to ask uh, Michael is for, <clears throat> for us to take um, uh, sort of a, a, an example of your day to day now, for example. Um, yeah. So you, you, I know Dej um, just sort of asked a question and he was referring to the fact that we've got, you know, uh, coaches who are sort of starting up and, and very early in, 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 in their careers. Um, so what we would like to find out is a bit of, about what, you know, what goes into your job on a day-to-day basis. It, it sounds like it, it's very all-encompassing and there's so many different aspects of your of, of your job, you know, both on and off the field. So let's say, yeah. for example, you know, um, uh, uh, talk us through uh, a, a, a standard week um, uh, at work for you. So let's say, I don't know, the, the, the boys play on a, on a Saturday. Saturday or a Sunday or whatever. Um, yeah. So from the, from the Monday, um, you know what 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 will what will um, sort of the standard procedure be? Will there be like a, a sort of a, a, a period where there is a review and and and, and sort analysis. of an analysis of, mm. of the previous yeah, game, I and mean, then does that form the the strategy for the week going forward? How, how does that all work out? Well, if I give you a typical week, if we were to play on a Saturday, then we would train on a Sunday. So the players who didn't play, the players on the bench, players non squad, and the best players in our second team and the 20s team we will train together as a group and that's quite a tough session the players who did play would have a recovery uh, the monday we would take off so we'd take the second day off and then we would train um tuesday wednesday thursday friday into a game on a saturday now unfortunately or fortunately for us because we've been quite successful the european program sort of throws a spanner in the works and yeah. there's a number of weeks where we don't take a day off mm-hmm. because there's always a reason to train so you have the 11 that play they might not need to train the next day but the guys that are on the bench or don't make the squad and the best young ones who want the experience of training with the first team and the first team staff, there's always a reason to train someone. So the games change now. You can't mm. say, oh, we're off every Wednesday or off every Sunday. Mm. It doesn't work like that. I'd say in an average month, we probably have three days off, maybe four, wow. because of our schedule being so tough. So we've played 37 games up to Christmas already, but mm. June 15. Where we're lucky is that on the international break, we take the first week off. In terms of how the working day starts, well, I'll probably, I live about 15 miles from the training ground. I live in a lovely sort of like rural area um, near Loch Lomond. So I live north of Glasgow. So it's about 15 mile trip into the training ground. Um, I would arrive around 8.15. Training doesn't start to 11 and the players arrive at half nine. That gives me a chance in the morning to plan the session talk to the staff we're not massive on meetings as a staff because every conversation you have is a meeting when you work in a football mm, club yeah mm-hmm. yeah we're in the office with the other coaches or the manager or the head of sports science or the physio the doctor whoever it be every single conversation over breakfast or just in the office what i do do is i tend to have too much tea and too many biscuits lads <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah, yeah. We, we're big fan of biscuits we, as well. yeah. yeah that's how we chew the fat just like we are now and you, you have this style of you have this style of play that you have 
and the style of coaching and development that you have in your club. We're very lucky because our staff, we're very one-minded in terms of how we want to see the game play. That doesn't mean we're all 100% on the same page. Mm-hmm. What it means is we're 90% on the same page. And then we debate a lot of the bits around it, which I think is important. Um, but yeah, training generally starts at 11. That will finish probably just before one o'clock once we've done some individual work at the end. Then it's lunch. The food at the training ground is fantastic. We're very lucky. It's one of the best restaurants in Glasgow. And, and, and that will last probably an hour because we'd sit together as a staff and really discuss things. Players are around that as well. So it's a chance to have an informal conversation with them. And in the afternoons, it's sort of like... It depends on what our schedule is and what's coming up. There might be some video work where you go and sit with the analyst. It might be there's a recruitment meeting. That's pretty much the afternoons are not set in stone. You know, sometimes it's, it's nice to get away and go and pick your children up from school and do the school run because you don't get to do that too often in the morning. So um, after we have a day off, which is quite important when you do get a day off, the next day after that, we don't train to the afternoon to allow the players to do that. Because there's a lot of things that happen in our life as, as football coaches and, and the players, which is really nice. One of the things that, the, as we all know, with football players, is you have to make some sacrifices to be where you Definitely, are. Definitely, yeah, 100%. Most of the time, that's family and social. So when you do get a chance to allow the players to do the school run or to have breakfast with their wife or children or to go for lunch with their family, I think it's really important you allow that. Mm. That's very mm. different to working in an academy. My hours working in the academy was much longer because I would go in early in the morning, but the kids wouldn't come in from school until around half, four, five o'clock. So I'd be starting at 9, 8 in the morning going to 8 p.m. So I had a number of years of doing that. First team football um, is a lot less because everybody is an adult and everybody goes off and does their own life in the afternoon. So it's, it's, it's just pretty much football, football, football. If you're not there, you're on the phone with someone talking about football, whether it be another manager or a coach or players that you've worked with at your club or previous club. You're really immersed in it. I wouldn't say it's a job. I would say it's a lifestyle. You know, I think what you when you're really immersed in something or it's an obsession, it becomes pretty much who you are. Yep. Mm. All right, that's 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 really helpful. Very so, good insight. Yeah, we are learning. Honestly, that was really it was like a virtual Michael. tour, literally, of, of, <laughs> of, of, of uh, a standard week in the life of uh, Michael Bill. Um, so we're going to move on to a, a, another question. And what I wanted to ask you, Michael, is what difference have you found, if any, um, given the fact that obviously you've worked with so many different coaches, is, has there been a difference with working with coaches that have previously played the game versus coaches that haven't? Uh, that's a really good question. Of all the podcasts I've done and interviews, no one's ever asked me that question. And uh, I mean, I'm probably in a better position at the moment than I've ever been to answer it because obviously I'm I'm working with two of the best midfielders in, in the Premier League history in Karen McCann and Mm-hmm. What, the, what you learn from them is about how an elite player thinks and feels mm. and, and, and how the changing room works and how they see the game. Mm. What I've learned from, from them and the other players I've been around is I know and I understand why they were top players because they have an obsession. And their obsession about you know wanting to become better and improving every single day is very similar to the obsession that I had as a coach. Um, in wanting to get better and to learn and develop. I think that 
I think now that a lot of ex-players go into coaching and they have other ex-players in their management team. And I would say that, I wouldn't say that's a mistake, but I I think that you have to have different experiences and Mm. different people around you to round Mm. off your I think the smart one, so I see Scott Parker now took a boy called Matt Wells from uh, Tottenham who he worked with. And I think that's a good blend because Matty can use his development and all of his coding and add that to Scott's experience. Mm. Obviously, Jody Morris has been in coaching for a while and has gone with Frank, but there's a young boy there, Joe Ed. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know there's, um, there's, many, there's many people like that. There's Kieran McKenna at Man United now who's working with Carrick and Oli Gondolshaw, and he'll be giving his benefit. And, and that's hopefully the role that I'll play here as well with Stephen and Gary, that my years of coaching and their years of elite-level performance and understanding the tactical side and how the change room works and managing players, it all comes together to make a strong team. I think that the, the famous players, when they get an opportunity, they've got a lot to lose. You know, They have a status as a player that is so big that when they go into coaching, you know, it, they could lose it very quickly You know, because it's a complete different job. So mm. who they ground themselves with and how they round off their skills with the talent of other departments. You know, now to be a football manager has changed. Now there's sports science you have to understand. There's the analysis side. There's the academy. There's the media. There's the management of the players. There's the coaching every single day. The job's vast, and the squads are getting bigger. So you have maybe 30, 35 people that you have to manage. So it takes a management team to do that. And I think, you know, I, I think we're seeing it, you know, certainly... Um, with the players that have come out recently that have got jobs like Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard, I think they, they've, they've, they've selected their staff very well and that gives them the best opportunity to succeed. Yeah, Michael, this insight is incredible. Yeah. We're just nodding our heads and just looking and thinking, wow, <laughs> yeah. this is a clinic. Mm. Yeah, so recently we had the, you know, the small matter of the old firm derby, <laughs> you know, Celtic against Rangers. Obviously, Rangers were victorious. And people were saying that game was sort of like a title decider. So how did you approach that game? Because watching it from the very first minute, you could see that Rangers went there with the attitude that, you know what, we're going to take it to Celtic and we're going to put them to the sword. And that, you know, sort of speaks volumes of Steven Gerrard and how he was as a player. And we even saw Gerard's passion at the end. We saw you guys just going <laughs> mental at the end, <laughs> celebrating the victory. <laughs> Well, I think I think two things. Like I've I've been a lover of this game as a young yeah. boy. You know yeah. what I mean? When Gazza and Lau drop and that played, mm-hmm. and so I've been a, a follower of this game. I must come back one day to experience this game as a as a supporter in the stand rather than someone in in the in the dugout because it's completely different. Obviously, yeah. you're so focused on the game and derby games, whether it be you know Liverpool, Everton, Arsenal, Tottenham, or the old firm. They're not always the greatest football game because there's so much tension and yeah, heart yeah. Yeah. goes on to the pitch, and they take times to settle. And you know we've had our ups and downs in the derby since we've been here. And what you know we, we've won, we've won a few, and we've lost a few. Recently, we lost a cup final where we did yeah. everything well, and we lost the cup final due to an offside goal. So it was hard to take. And we've just been on the back of eight away games out of the last ten in the league. So wow. we knew this big period for us the way that the fixtures had fallen was difficult for us and we knew that this game was at the end of it and you know I think it shows where we're at as a team at the moment we've got a lot of young emerging players you know players like Glenn Kamara Joe Rebo Ryan 
Kent, Nikola Katic, they're all young. They're, you know, between 20 and 23. They're all emerging young players. And I think we have a few seniors like Jermaine Defoe, Stephen Davis that do wonders and, and help these players grow. But you never know until you're in that arena, you know, whether it be a cup final or a big game or like Porto home and away this year, final at home and away. You never know until the players mm-hmm. at that moment how they're going to handle it. So you do have some... some anxiety as coaches beforehand and ultimately you just want to see players taking you know your tactics for the game you want to see them um, applying that and playing to the, the maximum of, of their ability and, and their level and I think a lot of our players can you know look at themselves in in the mirror and, and know they've been very very honest with themselves then in the in the last two games with Celtic and obviously one was really disappointing but sometimes in football, there's performance happy and there's result happy. Yeah, yeah. I was saying youth development, you have to be performance happy and then the results will come. I'm saying first in football, you need to be results happy okay. because it's only so long that you'll get results if the mm-hmm. performance is there. But we yeah. lost the cup final playing very, very well. We probably played better in the cup final than we did in the, the game at Celtic Park, but we got a different result. And, 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 and that's it over the season. You're just trying to fuel each player and the team so give them real clarity on their role so they can play how they did in the game last week. It wasn't the most perfect football game that we played, but from the outside looking in, everyone would, would give us a lot of plaudits because we won a game away at Celtic. We've played better this year. Yeah, so when I look through the Rangers team, there's a lot of talented players. I mean, you know, Alfredo Morelos. I like Tavernier at the right back. I think he's a top, top player. I think he can play in the Premier League potentially. Joe Aribo. I mean, there was a touch that he done during that game. It was like a touch from the gods. You know, Glenn Kamara as well. You got the experience of, you know, Jermaine Defoe. But I want to dial into Alfredo Morelos. Like, I love this guy as a player. In some ways, he reminds me of like a Luis Suarez, like Mm. a street footballer. Those ricochets. I mean, 12 goals in 18 league games, 14 goals in 14 Europa League games. I mean, how is it like working with this guy? Because sometimes he gets himself sent off and I know he can be so frustrating for maybe you and the other staff, but he's worth the hassle because what he brings to this Rangers team is, is different class. Yeah, I think, like, you know, when you go to work every day, there's certain players that make you excited to go mm. to work. Yeah. Since we've gone to Rangers, we try to change the squad to add players that really energise you as staff. Yeah. It's your job to energise and develop and nurture them and guide them as young men. But you want to go to work and work with players you're excited to work. I think he's one of the most misunderstood people um, playing in football, certainly in Scotland. Now, this is a young boy that's just 23. He went from Colombia to Helsinki and Helsinki to Rangers to a Spanish-speaking coach that left quite early in his time here. Then he's gone through a couple of managers before we've arrived. And this is a young boy that, you know, I talk about needs to be a player rather than wants. He needs to be. Okay. Foundation back home in Colombia. He's doing a lot of things that a young 23-year-old, you know, should be applauded for, living a long way away from home, you know, and, and doing very, very well. Like, I think, um, I think you know, the, the public knew the player that I knew every day because he's the joker in our changing room. You know, he's the big smiler joker, always playing pranks. And, and, <laughs> and <laughs> the public don't get to see that. Um, you know, his English is, is better than what people see. He's still learning. I think there's, he's, you know, there's things that about his culture and about him as a person that we, we spoke about previously as a, 
you know, about that's what you need to learn as a coach. My experience in Brazil helped me greatly when I come to Rangers and I saw Alfredo because I understood him a little bit more okay. because of my life yeah. in South America. And they see the game differently. Like, he is obsessed with scoring. He wants to practice scoring every day. You know, he's not your player who wants to keep possession of the ball and be low risk. He wants to be high risk. He's a maverick. And I think mm -hmm. we have to... We have to applaud and celebrate these players while you have them. Certainly here in Scotland, we need to we need to enjoy him while we can because there's been a lot of clubs interested in him and you have to look at his goal-scoring record this year. And I think well, the thing that summed it up for me is the goals against Porto and the two goals away at Feyenoord. You know, he's now scoring against real elite, high-level opposition in a European competition. So it's fantastic. You know, he's been called up for Colombia. He spoke recently about it being his dream to play with Falcao. And that's mm. fantastic. When you're working with a young player and you see that he goes on to play for national team, plays with his idol as a kid and he's opening a foundation in his home country. There's so much positives around this kid that I, I worry that the media, they need to sell newspapers and they need to sell drama. And it worries me about mainstream media. Do you, you know, think they, there's an agenda against him? I don't know if there's an agenda. I think agenda's too big a word. I would say there's an ignorance towards him. Okay. And the, and the people maybe are saying, well, he needs to fall into our culture, this, that, and the other. But that's what a lot of the problems in the world come like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, we need to be more accepting of different people mm. and, and more diverse people and different right. cultures in, in general, just in every industry. And I'm just thinking, I, I think, listen, uh, do I think that the boy... Has, has made some mistakes in the past. Yes, I do. But there isn't a 23-year-old that isn't. And mm. there's young Scottish players and British players playing in Scotland making very similar mistakes. Mm. Not being picked up on it. So without, I don't want to add to the drama and the weight around it because what we try to do is we try to just continue working with the, the boy because he generally is a really nice young boy. And I think he's... He's very misunderstood. And Michael, that's why platforms like us are here. We don't want any of this clickbait, you know, trying to create headlines. We just want to get the honest truth mm. about people's characters. And you spoke very well about that. Um, but I just want to go back to Chelsea. Um, you mentioned, um, you know, Joe Edwards, um, Jody Morris. I know you've got a good relationship with Eddie Newton. Yeah. How proud does it make you when you see these guys doing such a great job under under Frank Lampard? Yeah, I was so pleased. Like you know, like you look at Chelsea as an academy the last few years, and the, you know Paul Clement was there, Steve Clark was there, uh, Steve Holland was there. You know, not just these guys that have done well as well. So it's always been an academy that's really developed coaches. It's developed coaches as well as it's developed football players. But the coaches seem to have had more opportunities or okay. gone on. I like Brendan Rodgers is another one that, that done very well. He's been there as well. And, you know, there's A.D. Vyavash now who's assistant to Mark Robbins at Coventry. There was Dermot Drummy who went to be manager at Crawley. Yeah, Sally God bless him. Yeah. yeah, God bless. And, you know, so there's always been, we were exposed to very, very good players to foreign tournaments and very good managers, very, very good academy manager in New Bar. So as a coaching staff, we grew. And that's fantastic. What I'm really pleased with is that some of the guys are still back at the club and then now they've seen the full journey. Now the players are playing. They're in a position where they can directly affect it. And I think that they deserve a lot of credit this year. Because it is a decision to play Tammy Abraham or Bashuai or Giroud. You know, that's a decision. You've got two full internationals there or a young boy and they're mm. playing. It is a decision to play Barkley or Mason Mount 
or Pedro. You know, that is a decision. Like it's a decision now to play Reese James or Fakao Pomori or last week Tariq Lamptey. I think that, you know, very key. I l- listened to Frank Lampard speak last week about, um, you know, he turned to Jody Morris against Arsenal and said, is Tariq Lamptey ready? And Jody said, of course he's ready. And I think that's so important in terms of having some staff in the first team that really believe in youth development and believe in the young kids. What that can do for a young kid is huge. And I, I think you see that as well tonight with Liverpool's young thing. You know, yeah. Pepe, the guy that, that I know really well is like one of my brothers in football and Alex Inglefall, but yeah. Liverpool, the yeah. public manager. You know, they really believe in these young players. So when these young players have an opportunity to go up to the first team, they feel the strength from the staff. They don't feel judged. They feel the strength and the confidence and the belief from the staff, and that enables them to settle. And again, you need a few good eggs in your first team squad, a few experienced ones that are not guarded by the young players coming up, to actually opening their arms and welcoming up and actually mentoring them. And I think mentoring is quite a big word on this platform that like we're speaking now. Like we're speaking about mentoring for coaches and sharing of ideas. It's the same when young players go up. There's a mentoring process. I don't think it's saying you can force on a a professional football player to mentor a young one. I think you either have it or you don't. We're very lucky. Jermaine Defoe is outstanding. I cannot speak highly enough of Jermaine and how he behaves around our young players, for example. We even saw him with Bradley Lowry. He took him as his best friend and he had a special relationship with him. So I'm not yeah. surprised when you say mm. this. Yeah, when you no, see Jermaine Defoe in the media, anytime yeah. you see him, you just think this guy's a sound yeah. individual. He's someone that you know I can look up to, and you respect him. Yeah, I remember like we were kids, and I was a second year scholar at Cholton, and Jermaine was under 16 at Cholton before he went across to West Ham. And like Jermaine was really quiet. He lived for scoring goals. Like Jermaine was fantastic young player, as we know, and he's taken it into the, the full game. So I haven't seen Jermaine in probably 20 years. Um, and then he signed for us last January and then you, you think, OK, well, how is Jermaine as a, as a person? You know, he's such a famous player, one of the best goal scorers in the Premier League. How is he? He's so giving in his time. And the thing that's so impressive about Jermaine Defoe, which Stephen Gerrard spoke about before he came with the staff is, he is the ultimate professional. Eats well, sleeps mm-hmm. well, everything in preparation, everything in recovery, trains every day to such a high level he's finishing is like a master class of finishing every day he spoke <laughs> recently about his um uh, decision to, to go vegan and how it's uh sort of um elongated his his playing career as well hasn't he yeah and he's sort of like you know Jermaine comes in he talks to all of our players like that and he get makes them more intrigued you know what I mean as I say like if you put the right people in the room it can only rub off on young people do you know what I mean? You can only rub off on them. And, and that's a big part of it. And that's a big part of, of, of you know, you, you as a football manager or as a football club, you have a little community because you see each other more than you see your family. You're there every single day and you have to live in that community. So who they put in it is really important. You know, the people that you trust and the people that you allow to come inside that, that training ground, inside that team, the staff and the players, the people that make up that community is really important. It's a part of management that's not spoken about enough. And Stephen Gerrard, when he brought uh, Alan McGregor back and he brought Stephen Davis and he brought Jermaine Defoe, he wasn't just bringing, you know, older, experienced players. He was bringing very good people that could help the young ones. <laughs> yeah. you know, our recruitment, is, is, I think it's clear to see. We like players in a certain age group between 20 and 24 that have been at Premier League clubs or we feel will go to the Premier League. And we like to nurture them within 
within our environment. Now, you, it's okay. You have the staff doing that, but you need elite examples in the change room next yep. to them that they can look and learn from every single day, subtly, you know, because, like, that's almost like whispering learning. It's going on, and you'll you'll take it. And I'm sure that, you know, if you get to speak to someone like Glenn Kamara or Joe Aribo, you know, young boys from London that have got to come up here and work with someone like Jermaine, they're taking so much from him. Yeah, Michael, I mean, when we look at your resume of the top players, top young players that you've worked with, some from under seven, Solanke, Tammy Abraham, Ovi Ajaria, and we've got, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold at um, Liverpool. Um, mm-hmm. Which one is the most pleasing example that you've had to work with coming through? And what player would you say surprised you the most? Um, I think Trent... I wouldn't say Trent surprised me because the first time I see him as a 14-year-old, I said to someone, I think he'll play in the first team. It's my first <laughs> player Liverpool. Like, because he looked different to all the other boys mm. there. You know, he was wiry and he was he didn't have a frame. You know, like when he first broke into the first team, he was like very skinny. But he could he was capable of moments of magic. And then the next minute would struggle to control it. So he was like this crazy talent and that you felt if you could just nurture it and there was a lot of people at Liverpool have done a fantastic job with Trent and his mum is one of the main people mm. his mum has kept, kept his mum Diane has been fantastic for him because she's been very strong mm. and she's always told him to listen to the coaches and work mm. hard and as a single parent you know like massive respect to Diane for the work that she's done with Trent and the hunger that Trent has I always say that, you know, like the eye of the tiger is like a cheesy comment, but when boys, before they make the debut, they have a look in their eyes where they're mm. wired into the coaches and to everything. They're just, you know, you can see it. It's how long it stays there. And I look at Trent, it hasn't moved yeah. yet. Because when these players break through to the first team, everything changes in their life. They become super well-known. They have, you know, excess in terms of finances and excess in terms of attention and it's how you manage all of that and I think if you keep a close tight support network like Trent had the staff at the academy you know Jurgen Klopp his mum and Tyler Tyler yeah, his brother you know what I mean and it's a tight network and a tight support group and I think that's been very important for him I think he'd be the first person to say that but there's lots of players like Mason Mount was a player I had at Stevham when I first went to Chelsea, he was just a lovely boy, just a really lovely boy. But every he wasn't a talent that you went, wow, what a talent. Okay. Cool. But he just got better every single day. And that was like Trent. Trent just got better and better and better. And you even see it now, the more games he's playing. There's other talents like Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who are eight years old. You see him and you go, wow, he's going to be a player. <laughs> <laughs> now, Ruben, I think, has been so unlucky because he was he's not had the opportunities that one or two others have had. And obviously, injuries has hurt him as well. But he is a supreme talent. And I just hope for that boy that he has a period of time where... You know, he, he has no injuries and he can play. If he would have been fit at the start of this season, I think he'd be the driving force at Chelsea. I, I believe in him that much. Um, you know, Fikao Tomori was doing really well this year. You know, he always had this real aggression and desire to defend. And so what these boys had at their at a young age, what their passion was, is still their biggest passion in the game now. So, you know, Solanke always scored goals. And, you know, I, I, I was pleased to see him score yesterday. Yeah, Bond. yeah. He's had a lot of mental anchors the last few years where things haven't gone for him, but he's a supreme talent. Uh, Tammy Abraham. Tammy 
Tammy like I love him. celebrate <laughs> in training like he's scored in the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> he seems like an infectious character. Yeah, Everyone really that love. talks about him says he's such a lovely boy. I really yeah, love he's him. So infectious. You know, I used to go and pick him up sometimes and drive him into training and like I've known Tammy since he's seven or eight. I remember we had an under tens game away at Mill Wall and I subbed him for like we've had four twenty minutes. I subbed him for one of twenty minutes. He went about three hundred yards away and sat down, would look at me and everything. And, <laughs> That's personality, and I think of course. You, you can mould the personality. And whenever you see these boys now, it's a big smile. You've played such a small part, maybe a one or two percent part in their journey, but you're privileged to have seen it. And I think when I first started coaching, to you know, when coaches spoke to me about, oh, I had this player, and now he's playing. I was thinking, wow, I'm never going to get one of them. And then this last few years, it's been so rewarding to see these young boys breaking through and having a chance. But not just the ones you worked with, because you might have played against the Spurs and yeah. seen a Harry Winks, or you might have yeah. played against an Everton and seen a Tom Davis, or an Arsenal and seen a Willock or a Nelson. Um, or a Maitland-Niles. So, you know what I mean? You're privileged to have seen young kids at a young age and go on and play. And that gives you another level of experience as a coach that you can draw upon. Who would you say has been like the biggest contributor to your learning? I know you speak very highly of Alex Inglethorpe, who was doing a terrific job at Liverpool. So who would you say has like really like showed you the ropes in terms of like coaching from, from day one? I think of like, like Damien Matthew giving my first job at Chelsea and I didn't know at the time that, you know, someone who was giving me an opportunity to coach under sixes would go on to be like one of my best mates in life. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and Damien, fantastic role model in terms of how to live your life as a human being. So I've learned lots of him of like an older brother um, at Chelsea. There was lots of managers you learned from at Chelsea. I've always said that the players you learn a lot from, Neil Bath did a lot that I didn't realise at the time, but now I've moved away from Chelsea. There's a lot of things I look back and reference and think, wow, he was fantastic at his job in terms of opening my eyes to uh, the bigger picture. And I would say Alex Inglethorpe at Liverpool, again, I would say as one of my sort of like football brothers, really, that, you know, he, he challenges me, I challenge yeah. him. You know what I mean? He's yeah, much, yeah, yeah. Inter, much more of a doer, but we challenge each other. Some of our conversations are arguments. Like, yeah. arguments. <laughs> Remind, <laughs> reminds me of me with my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> People leave the room, do you know what I mean? And they think, wow, I've got to get away from you. Like, you know, that's, that's how we speak. And I have it now with Gary McAllister. Like, Gary was a player that I loved watching. He had so much class as a player. Oh, and now I was in the office, and me and him just go, should we have a coffee? And we just walk off and was just debating football. We debate all things about football. And I think it's just having them... I think the level of your conversations, like in football, what I found in football and in football clubs and what I missed in Brazil because of the language barrier is the level of intellect in your conversations about football, it, it comes out on the pitch. Mm. It really does. It comes out in your training with players. It comes out with your enthusiasm, your personality with players. And I have some really special relationships with young players and players I work with now that I wouldn't mention, but just sharing of ideas. And I just speak to them about the game and how they're feeling and what they're seeing and what they like and what they don't like. And then them conversations are worth their weight in gold. And you feel privileged. I think when you're living in it, it becomes your normal. But I always try to step back and be that boy from South London Council State and think, well, I'm lucky. Do you know what I mean? So... There's a there's a driver in me that keeps me pushing forward. 
Yeah, Michael, I just wanted to ask a question. You've given so much insight, man. This mm. can oh, this could go on for time and time. We're just we're just nodding our heads, <laughs> learning, soaking up the information. Hundred percent. But what I wanted to ask you is, you've worked with top top managers. So, what has been one thing or skill that you've learned from each Mourinho, Klopp, Ancelotti, Rogers, and Gerard? They were all very clear in what they wanted. Like they was all very, very clear in terms of what they wanted from their team and therefore they could give clarity to the players. Now, obviously, I work a lot closer with, say, Brendan Rodgers and Jürgen and I did the managers at Chelsea. But at Chelsea, they were very good at taking us over and making the coaches and their staff share things with us, which was a blessing at Chelsea. That was, you know, that was, I'm a Chelsea fan as a kid, so it was a huge moment for me to just be there. When I went across to watch Mourinho coach, I was like, wow, I knew I was seeing someone special. Like, I was in awe of the guy. And the way that he laid out his session, had like military organisation. That's something I haven't seen before. That's something I need to learn and to gain and add to my coaching. And then the nice, pleasing thing is that all of these top guys they have a personality to interact. And that was the thing that I was pushing massively. You know, the one, you, you, a lot of their players speak about them very well. Like, you know, I'm so pleased to see Ancelotti back in the Premier League. I think he's taken on his toughest job, but I'm so pleased to see him back because, you know, like the players and what they speak about him and the regard they... Because he's interested in them as people. And that's always the way I've been. Like, as a young coach, I was very parent-friendly where other coaches and certain clubs that you might work at keep the parents at arm's length. I've always been very parent-friendly um, and I want to be closer to the players to, to, to sort of be like, be like a guide or an older brother, you know what I mean? I, I always think with people like, why? what are you good at? Okay, let's focus on that as a, as a starting point, not what can't you do. I always look for what you can do because I think that's quite uplifting. I think what's important as well is to understand what inspired you as a person. So who's the most inspirational person in your life what did then people make you do and how did they make you feel? And I think if you have that conversation with any player, that then you'll learn how to manage them. And what I would say about um, Jürgen, Brendan, uh, whether it be Scolari, Ancelotti, Mourinho, all these guys was that they were very clear on what they wanted. So then they gave the player clarity and it was, it was about people. It was about how the feeling and the relationship. It wasn't so tactical. Okay. It was about people do you know what I mean it yeah, was about, yeah I think that's what our game our game's about feeling and relationships the relationship they have with the staff and the game and it's how you make them feel when they're playing because you can be the biggest and the best tactician but if these people don't want to play for you and they don't feel then that's you know, it yeah. the trust of the relationship they won't play for you 100% and we've seen that so many times Michael yeah. but there's different <laughs> types of managers guys isn't there there's the tactician there's the motivator there's the field coach there's you know I mean there's you can you don't have to be you know uh, five out of ten at everything mm. you need to know what you're very good at and then round it off do you know what I mean and yeah. I've spent many years as a field coach really learning my craft as a field coach and now I have a big interest in cultures and relationships I feel that field coaching is a given the level that I work you have to okay. be a good coach. Had, but now it's about cultures and relationships and that's something that I, I I'm really keen to keep you know, my communication skills improving with, with players. I remember you saying that Andre Villas-Boas was an amazing field coach, but 
yeah, the time is it's just gone. But mm, yeah, yeah, we wanna wish you all the best. Hopefully, Rangers yeah. can bring home the SPL. That's the big hope this season. Growing <laughs> up, I was a Rangers guy. Yeah, Obviously, I, seeing I, my hero Steven Gerrard managing Rangers, you part of the team. Yeah, Hopefully, you guys support, bring yeah. it home, win that <laughs> game in hand, and keep winning. <laughs> Right, if you don't need to finish, I can continue. If you need to finish, though, I'm, I'm fine. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't need to stop. Mm. Um, yeah, if you want to go again for another five minutes, we're more than happy. Yeah. That's fine. Go on, then. Whatever question you're going to ask me for five minutes, go on. You've got me. Fantastic. So, there was a question that I wanted to ask earlier on in the, um, in the interview, um, uh, Michael, which mm. was uh, sort of harping back to your time in, um, in Brazil. Uh, yeah. I, I, funny enough, actually, there are, there, there, there are two. So I'd, I'd, I'd split them into two different questions. So one of them is, um, do, do you feel that... Because I, I know that we have, um, you know, something that we say, like, there are so many different uh, and talented players who um, don't, don't, don't get a lucky break. And so, for example, mm-hmm. in, in Brazil, right, with how huge the country is, you can imagine it, 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 football is, is, is almost like a religion for them. I, I remember somebody once said to me, in Brazil, the only two things that matter are God and football, essentially, because it, it, it's, it's something that the whole um, uh, country get behind. And so with that, you will have loads and loads and loads of players who are very talented, but just don't get a lucky break, who don't get an opportunity to play professionally mm-hmm. now is that also something that um is 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 common with it within and amongst coaches as well in that um you know there, there could be some very talented coaches um playing their trade at different clubs but just not had the that sort of the lucky break or uh, a contact at a, a you know a, a bigger club to get that move for example and I know, and I know you you mentioned that uh, you know at the time that you uh, moved over to Chelsea, you were sort of um, doing your sort of coaching academy um, elsewhere, and you had someone that you uh, you, you you had a relationship with uh, who was at Chelsea at that time, um, and so and so that was that was sort of something that that helped you along your way, um, but you know, say say you you didn't have that contact, say, do you think that it would have still been possible for you to um you know get a, a sort of a, an opportunity to um coach at, at that sort of level i think word of mouth really helps like with me at, like with my soccer school like i was doing it and the word of mouth was getting around and i had academy players come to join in the sessions and then that's how i got my break because someone's like right okay who's this coach and then mm. An opportunity like that, I still had to go along like anybody else and put a session on and meet people. Of course, people. of course, yeah. Time, opportunity met, someone was leaving, I was willing to do it, I was willing to do anything. You know, I was working like seven days a week doing all sorts of sessions women, world, mixed ability in my soccer school, Chelsea. Mm. I was playing non league, I was working as a postman, I was doing everything, like, you know what I mean? Just yeah. to try and stay afloat. And then you had that big worry whether you're ever going to be able to go full time. And it was probably about six, seven years later when I went full time with Chelsea. I thought, wow, I can stop all that other stuff now. Mm-hmm. Even when I was part time at Chelsea, it was that. If I talk about players, I would say, right, what's going to stop a player? So if you look at any young person, are they technically going to foul? Are they physically going to foul? Is it their mentality? Is it their attitude towards learning? What is it? What's going to stop? Is it physically? What's going to stop them being a player? And then you'd as you'd say that about a young player, really young. You wouldn't say it to him, but as a staff within a football club, you would say it. Mm. I would say the same to uh, any young person who's leaving school and 
is going to go into a profession is right. What's going to stop you? So you're picking your profession, right? What can stop you? One of the things that might stop you in football is the sheer volume of people that want to do it. This is it. Yeah. yeah. Then what's going to set you apart from them? Mm. All right. So are you willing to go and learn a second language? Are you willing to go and do the unpaid stuff? Are you willing to go and you know watch people coach in the wind and the rain? Are you willing to ask the right questions? Do you have a personality? So for mm. example. Go to have, I think the problem we have now in the education system in the UK is that, uh, for example, if we leave school and we're going to go and work in an office job, we've got to take an interview, but not a lot of young people can speak for themselves. Mm. I, couldn't, I couldn't at the same age. And I'll give you an example of this when I, as I finish this answer of where I could, my career could have stumbled before it started. And I see that with young players now. They're 16, they leave school, they're about to get a scholarship. The agent goes, you know, I don't want a scholarship. I want a one-year's pro and a one-year's pro. But if you ask the player, why should we give you that job? He can't answer it. He doesn't know his identity as a player. So I would say a lot of young players foul or are failing at the moment because they don't have a clear identity. What is it they offer their manager, their team, when they go on the pitch compared mm. to other kids? And to give you an example about how we need to improve young players' communication skills, mm. at one, I took an interview for Fulham on a Monday, and I took an interview for Chelsea on a Tuesday. Paul Clement took my interview for Fulham, who oh, obviously wow. going to do really well. Yeah. yeah. Put the interview with Damian Matthew on the Tuesday for Chelsea, and then I was always going to work for Chelsea because it was my team. Mm. On the Wednesday, Paul Clement rung me, left me a missed call, and I didn't ever ring him back because I took the job. And that was poor of me. That was just because I didn't want to say to him I was going to Chelsea. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't have that communication skills. Mm. My first... So then I went to work for Chelsea three or four years uh, part-time. My first day as full-time youth development officer for Chelsea was also the first day of Paul Clement starting as under-18s coach. Mm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. See how these things come full circle, don't they? Yeah, Paul never mentioned that. But you imagine, like, just my communication skills and my lack of at a young age. So I think, as the adult, we have have an obligation to open doors to young people. We have an obligation to make our young people be confident and have self-belief and self-awareness of what they're good at and be able to communicate it. I see foreign players doing that and foreign coaches talking about their philosophy or what they play and what they're going to achieve, and no one ever knocks them for being arrogant or aloof. And I see young British players doing it and we want to knock them. And I see young British players doing well and we want to knock them off their pedestal. And I've seen it the last couple of years with Raheem Sterling where he is surprised. Everyone was so like, oh, Raheem won't make it under Guardiola. And Raheem has done has, has, has surprised everyone and has got us all smiling. But there's constantly people trying to knock him off his pedestal. 100% yeah. and we've been privy to that. It's a British Arrogance is not a bad thing. Even I'll, I'll Todd Cantwell, the other day, he yeah, tweeted something. And people people were knocking him, him then he had oh. to come out and apologise and say, come sorry, on, it wasn't on. arrogant. I when I went to Brazil, I said when I went to Brazil, when I was over in Brazil, that our best talent is as good as theirs, but they have a Brazilian passport. And everyone was laughing. <laughs> I remember doing an interview on, on Trent and saying that he would take Klein's shirt. And I remember getting a backlash off some Liverpool fans at the time. But I generally believed it. I think that... You know, it's a lovely thing in life to open a door to allow someone else to step through it. And I don't think people, you know, should be scared or be at people that are in in good positions should be worried about opening the door for the next generation. I think what we we need to do with our young people is we need to listen to them. 
and we need to help them articulate themselves because we're in a we're in a society now that's dominated by by technology. So people can tweet or they can yes, Google and they yes. everything very very quickly. If we can teach our young people to believe in themselves, to love themselves and what qualities and strengths they have in whatever industry they're working, and to to speak well then I think we'll make impressive young people. And, and I think that is important, guys. And I think that any chance we get as a platform to push that, we should. I'm lucky I get to do it in football, and that's something that, you know, the masses love. And when they see yeah. a young team like Liverpool tonight and young Curtis Jones score, it's, it's like, wow, he's supremely talented. But we all know that if he doesn't do it in the next game, that people waiting to knock him back. And that's, that's a shame. That's a shame that we're... And I'll leave you with this one. I listened to someone speak a couple of weeks ago, and they said that a comedian, uh, Seinfeld, when he was in America and he was an up-and-coming comedian, yeah, yeah. he went onto a TV show and a guy stood up and he said, oh, I'm going to introduce you to the world's best comedian. He's going to come out here. He's going to make you laugh. This comedian's going to be the best comedian. You'll remember this night for the rest of your life. And then the curtain went back and Seinfeld went out, and everyone was like, well, go on, it made me laugh. And I see that in development all the time. If yeah. I say he's a good young player, or someone says that Mick Bill's a good coach, or Joe Edwards is a good coach, or Jody Morris, or Stephen La- uh, Steve Gerrard, or Frank Lampard, there's so many people who just want you to foul. Mm. It's like a horrible trait. But- mm, and we've seen it with Callum Hudson Odoi. I mean, so yeah. many people are onto his back. This guy's a talented guy. He's just yeah. come back from a nasty Achilles injury, mm. and people are jumping on his back. Yeah. But with young players, when they walk over the white line, you want them to be expressive. You want them to get on the ball and be brave and show an aggression and show a belief in themselves. But then when they walk off the white line, you want them to be angels. And when you're young, that's very hard. So when you're 9, 10, 11, the boy walks off the pitch, kicks a water bottle, and the coach says, don't kick that water bottle. But when they're on the pitch, you want them to be expressive. These young boys have been told their whole life to express themselves, to be brave, to show belief. And then when they get to the top end, we seem reluctant as a British society to allow that to happen. But we're more than happy if a Spanish player does it or a French mm-hmm. player. Or yep. We just say, we say, oh, why don't we develop players like that? I think we're on the cusp of a generation that are going to overthrow um, previous generations because I think they're hungry. And I see it. I see it. I look at Arsenal's team and I see young Reese Nelson. And I see Saka and I see Maitland yeah, Marks. Yeah. yeah, and I look at Tottenham and I see Winks and I look at Chelsea Skip. with all the players there. I look at Liverpool. I'm really excited about the next generation. I think our academies have done a better job than we're willing to give them credit for. We've still got work to do. But as a nation, we should be really positive about our future. We should still look at France and go, wow, can we catch them? But as a nation at the moment, I think there's not so many countries we need to be looking at. We need mm. to be constantly promoting our own young players. This year, Chelsea have, to, have been forced into something, but they're doing just as well as they did the year before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it brings so much joy to the people when these young players break through, i.e. tonight's result for Liverpool. Liverpool fans will be going home so pleased. Yeah, well, yeah. well happy. And it's that sense of being, and we, I think we, we can all relate to that, James. Definitely. I mean, 100%. You Michael, know what, Michael? We've, we've, we've got to do this again yeah, sometimes. We have to. We have to. We've honestly just... learned so much in such a short space of time. And honestly, there's there's just not enough time for us to just speak about all the different things that we want to speak it was gold yeah absolutely gold and thank you for supporting um, the platform we see you as like a mentor from afar you've always been great with us so thank you very much
No, I really appreciate it, guys. Keep doing what you're doing. In a few months, we'll, uh, we'll get together and we'll do it all again. Thanks very much. And maybe this time in person as well. Yeah, yeah, 100%. He gets out from Scotland. Yeah, next time I'm back home, I'll let you know, Jen. All right, oh, yeah. thank you very much, Michael. Brilliant stuff. Thank you very much, Michael. We'll catch up soon. Thank you very much. Bye, mate. Bye. Um, listeners, thank you very much for listening up until this point in time. Um, as always, please help us to continue to grow the platform. We're ever so close on Twitter to that 900 <laughs> follower mark. So um, help us get there. Help us get there. Share it amongst your family, friends, work colleagues and all the rest of it. Um, you know, we don't discriminate in terms of platform. We're across Spotify, SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave a five star review. Um, our handle on Twitter is at podcast underscore TBG you can also follow us on Instagram at pod underscore TBG um, of course the, 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 the podcast handle as well as all of our individual ones that's it from us until the next episode over and out Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.